Well, it's great singing praises to our God, singing that he is worthy, he is the Lord of all. That was an awesome new song that we just introduced this week, largely because it coincides with the series that we're going into, and we'll get more into that in just a minute. But if you're new here, my name is Adam. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm so glad you're here with us this morning, and um, really glad if you are visiting with us that you are here, and uh, we just hope that you will be challenged and encouraged by the message today. I do want to say that after this service, for those of you that are not visiting, well, if you're visit, and you can do this too. Afterward, we are going to be talking about Kid Connection down in room 140. I'm going to head down there right after this service. So if you see me duck out of here, it's not because I'm avoiding your conversations. I love those, believe me. But I want to go down and be a part of this Kid Connection thing. So join me down there at 1230 after this service, and we're going to learn all about what it means to be a part of that. And there's no obligation, so just come. And I think there's even food down there of some kind. I don't know what it is. I'm not making any promises, but you should go down and find out. Follow the orange footprints to get there. So if you are visiting with us today, we're glad you're here. If you are not a follower of Jesus this morning, just a little disclaimer for you. This series that we're getting into called How to Neighbor is really designed for followers of Jesus. Now, I got into trouble in the first service because I gave that disclaimer and I said, you know, you're probably still going to be able to get some things out of this, but it's really not designed for you. This is kind of a little inside baseball. This is meant for those who, who are trying to follow Jesus to learn about what he wants us to do, his mission for us. And so, you know, there may not be a lot here for you, but we hope that you'll come back. And afterward, someone came up to me and said, I don't follow Jesus, but you were wrong. I got a lot out of that message, and now I'm thinking maybe I should. So, that's awesome. And we praise God for that. And so if that's you today, that's great too. I hope you'll get a lot of this. I just want you to know there's going to be some terminology in here that may not immediately be relevant to you, but I certainly hope that one day it could be. We're going to be talking about how to neighbor and the reason why we're sort of pausing our study in Mark right now is because we want to we talk about this topic because in our society, in our culture, we have become increasingly isolated as people. Uh, even as we become more technologically connected, we've often become more socially isolated. Do any of you sense that? That yeah, we can, we can connect in so many different ways, but the deeper relationships, those aren't always happening the way that they ought to. In many ways, we live out our lives showing people kind of the Instagram version of ourselves, right? Where it's like, this is my life and everything's good, but we don't let people see what's underneath the surface and have those kind of deeper relationships. So that's kind of a part of what we're talking about here because that, that reality, that plays out in our relationships with other believers in Jesus Christ, but it plays out even more in our relationships with people who do not follow Jesus, I believe. In our neighborhoods, this shows up very profoundly. In many ways, we have lost the art of hospitality in this culture. If you go over to Asia and spend some time there or in the Middle East, you will often find there are people who are great at hospitality. It's a part of their culture. It's something that they value. They know their neighbors. They live in their community. And I think a part of this for us is that our transportation has enabled us to become very kind of diverse in where we spend our days. And so you don't necessarily get to know the people right around you really well anymore. And that's just kind of the, the byproduct of our culture here. So it's really easy for us to just kind of head home and open up our drawbridge and drive inside and close the gate. And maybe if we were really good, we waved at the guy across the street doing yard work. And then we go into our house and we batten down the hatches and we pray that nobody knocks on our door because we just kind of live these isolated lives. How many of you can name all of your neighbors? How many of you can name all of your neighbors' kids? 
How many of you can tell me what all of your neighbors do for a living? How many of you can tell me what all your neighbors do for fun? The number of hands that went up just got less and less every time we went through that. Because we don't know our neighbors as well as we used to. So forget having deep relationships with them. Forget being involved in each other's lives. And of course, I'm not talking just about our neighbors in the houses around us. I'm talking also about the people at work, the people at school. And so what I, what I want to challenge us with in this series is for us to be different. What if you and I, everyone in this room, everyone watching online, what if we all decided to be different? What if we all committed to being different, to being a culture that brings back that hospitality in the name of Jesus. I think there are really good reasons for doing that. What if we sparked a movement, not just in our neighborhoods, but in our workplaces, in our schools, where the places that we rub shoulders with other people that we don't always know, get to know very well, what if we sparked a movement there of being hospitable and warm and loving of these people? What if we committed to do what Jesus told us was the greatest commandment outside of loving God, which is loving your neighbors? Love your neighbor as yourself. What if we all did that? I think that would have a tremendous impact on our community, on our church, if we really did the things that Jesus told us we need to do. And so that is our goal for this series. It's really to ignite a movement in us where we would become so radically different in how we love those around us, getting to know them, getting into their lives, going deeper than the surface level, so radically different than the culture around us that stays so surface level and so shallow that people could not help but ask, what is different about you? What do you have that I don't have? What is this hope that you have in you? That's kind of the goal of this series. That's what we want to talk about. And of course, our answer to that is fairly simple. It's because God loved us and he has transformed us. And so our lives are different now than they were before. And that comes out of our relationship with God. So what I'm going to ask you to do right now, before we get into this together, is just to bow your heads with me. Let's pray. Ask God to teach us. Lord, we're about to spend six weeks studying this going all over your, your word to learn about how you want us to live our lives in, in relationship to the people that are around us. And not just the people that we'll feel close with, but even some of the people that we don't like so much. And Lord, I pray that you would use this time to teach us how to neighbor, to teach us how to love our neighbors as you have commanded us to do. Teach us what that means and what to do with that, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So before we spend time talking about how to neighbor. And everybody's been asking me leading up to this series, you are going to share the how, right? The practical stuff of what we can do. Yes, we are going to get there. But before we do that, we have got to talk about something a little bit deeper. We have got to get down to the foundation because if all we do is preach practices and never preach the truths behind them, then those practices aren't going to last very long. We've got to have some bedrock. We've got to have some foundation where we say, this is why we do what we do. Not just here's what you should do, but this is why we do what we do. And so what we need to get at here is what is our mission? We need to understand our mission. What is it that we are here to do? What is it that God has purposed for us to do? And if we're going to do that, because we are followers of God, followers of Jesus, then we need to ask another question. What is God's mission? Have you ever thought about that? Not what does God want you to do. What does God 
trying to do? What is God working at? What is God's mission right now in this earth that he is working at? And why is he doing it? What is he trying to accomplish that he invites us to be a part of? Now, every successful organization or team that I know of, if they're good at what they do, they have a mission statement. Some mission statements are really goofy. Some mission statements are totally ineffective, but some mission statements are really good. And if you can point at a company or organization or team that's really good at what they do, you may not know what their mission statement is, but chances are they probably have some kind of a mission statement. And they use that in their in their work, in their company, in their team, in their organization, whatever it is. Mission statements help to keep a a group of people on track when other things might threaten to distract them, get them away and, and veer off from what they were doing before. A mission statement can help draw them back. Mission statements help us when we face adversity to remember that's where we're going. Don't allow these things to distract you. We're heading right there. Yes, there will be some adversity along the way. They keep different members of the team working together even when things might threaten to kind of tear them apart, disagreements and what have you. Mission statements can be incredibly effective. And I thought that this morning it would be really fun to show you some mission statements and have you guess live right now what company you think those mission statements belong to. Are you ready for this? Are you ready for this? All right. All right. Let's show the first one. The first one is to combine aggressive strategic marketing with quality products and services at competitive prices to provide the best insurance value for consumers. What company do you think that is? I got Nationwide, I got Walmart for some reason. (laughs) Geico, it is Aflac, or Aflac. Yeah, you did it, you know. All right, next one. Our mission is to be our customer's favorite place and way to eat and drink. What do you think? We got some McDonald's back here. Very good, it is McDonald's. Do not try to figure out what they mean by way to eat and drink. I, I don't know. We seek to be Earth's most customer-centric company for four primary customer sets, consumers, sellers, enterprises, and content creators. One of you buzzed in before I even finished the sentence. What is it? Amazon. You got it. That is Amazon. No, that's good. That's good. Don't be embarrassed. Go for it. I don't care. We're just having fun here. Our mission is to give people... The power to share and make the world more open and connected. It is Facebook. Very good. Here's another one. Probably be easy for some of you. Our mission is to capture and share the world's moments. That is Instagram. Our mission is to organize the world's information and make it universally accessible and useful. Google, yes. All right, here's one. See if you can get this one. Our mission is to be the most essential global internet service for consumers and businesses. The most essential global internet service. It is Yahoo. Now, that didn't work out so well. So, apologies to any of you that have worked at Yahoo. Uh, maybe, maybe there's no one in here, which would be good for me because they, they had to change their mission statement. Here's what it is now. Yahoo's mission is to connect people to their passions, their communities, and the world's knowledge. So some mission statements can be very effective, but in order to make those mission statements effective, they have to do a couple of things because mission statements cannot just be plastered on a wall or put into a document, put up on a shelf, and just kind of ignore there and expect that to somehow be effective. It doesn't work that way. 
It has to actually have an impact on the things that we do. It has to have an impact on our actions for that mission to mean anything to us. And so as we look at teams that are effective with their mission, we notice that they tend to do two things with their mission statements. And I promise you this is all going to make sense in a little bit here. Mission statements that, that are effective with their mission, or teams that are effective with their mission statements do two things. Number one, they embed the mission into their DNA. They embed the mission into their DNA. What that means is DNA, which is kind of the blueprint for life, you know, it sort of determines the length of your arms and the, how many toes you have, which is usually pretty standard, but uh, how, how, how tall you are, the size of your nose, the color of your skin, all those different things about you. Your DNA has an impact on all of that stuff. DNA, when we're talking about a team or an organization or a group of people, refers to all the little things that make that group what it is. All of the different types of things that they do and who they are and their structure and what makes them, that's sort of the DNA of the organization. And here's the point of all of this. DNA doesn't just impact the big stuff, it also impacts the little stuff. And so for an organization or a group of people, a team, to really be effective with their mission statement, they can't just have their mission statement apply to the big things that they do. It has to apply to everything. It has to be embedded into their DNA, integrated across everything they do. That leads us to number two, which is effective teams reference the mission constantly. They're always going back to their mission. They're asking the question, how does this align with our mission? Every time we try to launch something new, we should be asking, does this line up with our mission? Because if not, then it might just distract us from what we're really here to do. They're always asking the question, have we we gotten off track from our mission? We're referencing the mission. Are we not doing what our mission says we're supposed to be all about anymore? Or here's a good one. Do the things that we used to do, or the the things that we do that used to accomplish our mission, the things we do now that used to accomplish, accomplish our mission, do they no longer accomplish our mission like they used to? Because maybe there are some practices, some tools, some things that we did that once accomplished the mission that we're here to do beautifully, And because times change and culture changes and people change and technology changes, maybe some of those actions no longer accomplish the mission like they used to. And so teams that are really effective, they embed their mission into the DNA of everything they do and they reference their mission constantly. And I hope you can start to see where this is applying to the church. This is what we need to be doing. But I want to ask you a question. It's a challenging one. I want you to think about this. Based on what we just heard, you've got to see it embedded in the DNA of every little thing we do. You've got to see it referenced constantly, the mission. Now, here's the question I want to ask you. Based on what you see in our country today from people who call themselves Christians, what might people who don't follow Jesus think is the mission statement for Christians? What might people who don't follow Jesus think is the mission statement for Christians? And that's a challenging question, isn't it? There's no right or wrong answer here. This is all subjective, but I've asked this question many times. I've gotten a lot of answers to this, some positive, a lot of negative, and I'm going to share with you now some of the negative ones that I have heard. These are perceptions that people have that when I ask, what might the mission statement be for Christians coming from non-Christians, here are some of the things that you hear. To use political power to enforce religious views on other people, to separate from the world so much that they're in their own religious bubble, to convert people to their religion at all costs, 
to avoid friendships with people who are not Christians, to discriminate against people who disagree with them, to oppose science, to make money by promising God's favor in return for donations, to use religion as a cover for abusing people, especially children and women, to diminish the importance and the role of women, to judge and condemn those who disagree with them, to claim moral superiority as a mask for hypocrisy. Now, if you are a Christian, those statements should probably make you feel very uncomfortable. And whether or not those statements are accurate reflections or not, I think you and I both know that there are people out there who have that perception of the mission of Christians. And right or wrong, it's because of things they have seen, things they have heard, people that they have heard about, things they've seen on the media or they've watched online, whatever it is, that is an an understandable perception that some people have, sometimes because of people who aren't Christians but claim to be and misrepresent Christianity, sometimes because of people who are Christians but they behave poorly and they need to grow and mature so that they do not give those impressions. But those are some of the perceptions that people who, are, who do not follow Jesus have toward Christians. So our objective today is very simple. We want to learn from God's word what is the mission that we should be all about. In other words, what do we replace that understanding with? How do we make sure that people have the correct perception as well as we can as much as it depends on us, how can we learn from God's word, the Bible, what our mission really is? And we need to look at what God's mission is in this world and then what our response is to that. We are going to look at several passages in the Bible this morning. We're going to be in the Old Testament and we're going to be in the New Testament because I want us to see that this has not changed The mission we're going to see in the Old Testament for God is the mission we see in the New Testament for God. What God expects of his people in the Old Testament is basically the same as what he expects in the New Testament. And so we are going to basically survey the Bible to ask the question, what is God's mission and what is our mission in response to that? Now, you can follow along if you want to in the YouVersion Bible app. You can go to efree.org slash Bible or you can use that app and go to events and first free church You can follow along in whatever Bible you have. We're going to put the scriptures on the screen so you can follow along there. But we're going to work our way through from the Old Testament to the New Testament to answer and ask ask and answer this question. What is God's mission and what is our mission in response to that? That will form the foundation for everything else we do in this series. So we're going to start in Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 43, if you want to turn there or scroll there in version, whatever you want to do. Isaiah the prophet is speaking here on behalf of God. So this is really God speaking, and here's what he says. Bring all who claim me as their God, for I have made them for my glory. It was I who created them. I have made them for my glory. God did not create us so that we could live purposeless lives. God did not create us so that we could just float through aimlessly and not have something to do. He created us for his glory. And that should cause us to ask some questions like, how can I best glorify God with my life? 
If I'm going to follow God, if that's what he created me for, for his glory, how can I best glorify God with my life? And that is a great question to ask in your groups this week. I want to show you another verse, though, in Habakkuk chapter 2. In Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 14, we read this. For as the waters fill the sea, the earth will be filled with an awareness of the glory of of the Lord. This is a prophecy about future times. This is the mission. This is the end game that the whole earth would be filled with an awareness of the glory of the Lord, that everyone would acknowledge this. Now, we often talk about giving glory to God. And when we say that, that's fine, but we have to understand what we really mean is acknowledging the glory that is there. We don't actually give more glory to God, we give glory to God by just acknowledging He is glorious. We can't actually give him more glory. And when we live according to his principles and we live in a way that glorifies him, we are, we are basically saying he is worthy of my obedience. He is glorious and worthy of my obedience. We glorify God with our lives. So that's the Old Testament, right? What is God looking for? The whole earth to be aware of his glory. He created us for his glory. Now we go to the New Testament, to the book of Ephesians. Look at Ephesians chapter 1. The Apostle Paul is talking, and here's what he says. God's purpose was that we Jews, who were the first to trust in Christ, would bring praise and glory to God. God's mission has not changed. His purpose was that the Jews, who were the first to trust in Christ, would bring praise and glory to God. And then he says, now you Gentiles, that's the non-Jewish people, you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you, and when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit, whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this, why? so that we would praise and glorify him. That is the purpose that he has for us. This is what God is doing. He is working to reveal his glory. God's mission is to reveal his glory, to have people that would acknowledge his glory, that would recognize how glorious he is. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, and if you haven't been around church a lot and heard this kind of terminology, that may strike you as being incredibly arrogant. Now, why would he just be all about getting praise and glory for himself? It's not actually prideful or arrogant. This is entirely deserved praise and glory. Why? Because he's the creator of the universe. He's the the only one who is worthy of our highest praise. He is actually worthy of this. And there's no arrogance or, or inappropriate pride in this at all. I was thinking this week, trying to come up with an illustration to, to maybe demonstrate this. And I'm not sure if we can fully understand it, but here's the best I can do. When I come home from work sometimes, I will find that my son is running to greet me. He's four years old, and he has been spending some of his time that day putting together some sort of elaborate creation out of Legos. And this kid is so creative. He comes up with these amazing rocket ships and cars and all these different constructions that he makes. His creativity just blows me away for a five-year-old. The stuff he thinks to put on there, or four-year-old, he's almost five. And, and he will run up to me with these creations and he'll, he wants to make sure that no one messes with it, no one touches it. Why? Because he wants to show me this great creation that he made. And he runs up to me and says, Dad, isn't this so cool? And I say, eh, I could do better. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I don't do that. I'm just making sure you're listening. 
I say, that's awesome. That is so cool. What a great job. And he's beaming with pride. Is it inappropriate pride? Is it arrogance? No, it's a healthy pride, a satisfaction in what he has created. Because it's really cool for a four-year-old. It's really cool, period. It's really neat what he's made. And I think that that's maybe a little picture of what God experienced when he created this universe. And he stepped back several times and he took it all in and he said, this is good. Like, this is actually really good. This is not an arrogant statement. This is actually really good. And so I don't think this is an appropriate desire for praise or glory. I think he desires a people who will see him for what he really is. I think he desires a people who will recognize that he really is glorious. This is what he's pursuing. Not because he needs it, but because he loves it. He deserves it. He desires the praises of people who can recognize what a glorious God that he is. But there is a problem. And that problem is the people who he created to acknowledge and recognize his glory and appreciate everything he had done and who he is, those people rebelled against him. And so a wall went up where they could no longer see his glory or acknowledge it or recognize it. And so that mission had to change a little bit. Not that it wasn't always his intention, but that mission is not just for people to glorify me. There's sort of an extended element to that mission that we also need to understand. We're going to look at Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19, verse 10. Jesus is speaking here and he says this, for the son of man came, why? To seek and save those who are lost. God's mission is to reveal his glory for people to understand and acknowledge and recognize his glory and so, so praise him and, and glorify him because of that. But because there is that separation there, because there are people who are spiritually lost, they need to be reconciled to God so that they can acknowledge his glory. The end game of Jesus Christ coming here was not just so he could save them, but Paul says in Ephesians 1 we just looked at, he could save them so that they could praise and glorify God. You get that? That's the mission. That's the end game here for God, for people to bring him praise and glory. And so in Luke chapter 4, Jesus says this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. And he is not speaking here about physical freedom and physical sight. That's the mistake that his followers made, thinking that his salvation was going to be a physical salvation from Rome. No, he was here to free people spiritually from spiritual darkness, from spiritual bondage, so that that wall would be removed, so that people could have a relationship with God, see him for what he truly is, recognize how glorious he is, and praise him authentically because of what he has done and who he is is. Jesus said in Matthew 24, and the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it and then the end will come. This isn't just a message for for one people. God doesn't just want the praises of one people. He wants the praises of the whole world. So if we were to put all of this together, everything we just looked at in the Old Testament and the New Testament, what can we say about God's full mission? And this isn't perfect. This is just a human interpretation here. But we see that God is revealing his glory. 
We see that he's pursuing the praises of people all over the world. He's seeking and saving those who are lost. He's freeing spiritual captives and the oppressed. He's giving sight to those who are spiritually blind all through the power of the gospel. That is the good news about Jesus Christ being the only way to a right relationship with God. And so if I were to try to put that into a mission statement for God, this is maybe something that we might come up with. God's mission is to seek and save the lost by freeing those captive, oppressed, and blinded in spiritual darkness through the gospel being preached to the whole world to reveal his glory. That's God's mission. That's God's mission right now. That is what he is doing in this world. Isn't that exciting? And we get to be a part of that. God has this mission to reconcile people to himself through the power of the gospel so that they can praise and glorify him and bring glory to him. That is what he is actively working to do. Sometimes we get this idea that Jesus took off and he just sort of left us to try to make it happen. That is not at all the case. God is working to make this happen. He's working to bring it about. And so the question for us then is, as his followers, if that is his mission that we just saw in the Bible, if that's what God is working to do, then what is our response to that? What is our mission now, knowing what his mission is? How do we come alongside what God is doing? And has he made that clear to us? Has he shown us what is our mission? What is our mission? Now, I got to be honest with you. Depending on what you have been taught in the past, what I am about to say may sound pretty unusual for a church answer. I'm going to start out by telling you what our mission is not. And I'm just warning you, this may sound a little weird. What is our mission not? Our primary mission is not to convert lost people to Christianity. That is not our primary first and foremost mission. Our primary mission is not to be crusaders who badger people over the head with a Bible until they convert to our faith. That is not our primary mission. Sharing about Jesus with people is absolutely a part of our mission, but that's not our primary mission. What is our primary mission? What is it that Jesus said was the most important thing we need to do? When someone asked him, what is your number one instruction for us? What is God's number one instruction for us? What does he want us to do? What's the most important commandment? What did he say? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. What he did not say was, hey, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? Go and make disciples. The greatest commandment, love God, love your neighbor as yourself. That is our mission. Should we also go and make disciples? Absolutely. That is one of his commands. That is one of his instructions. But we have to be careful that we don't think that's our only mission. That that's our primary mission. That's not what Jesus said. And I hope you'll see as we go through this a little bit further why that's so important. Why it is so critical that we get the right thing in the right place here. You've heard the expression maybe putting the cart before the horse. And I think that's what some of us do when we think about our mission as followers of God. As if it's just to make sure we go out there and convert people. And so then what happens? A lot of us are not very good at that. And so we get guilty, right? And then we just don't do it at all. Because I figured out that I'm not very good at that. I don't have that gift. So I'm just not going to go out there and share the gospel with people because that's, that's not my gift. I had, I had that one experience that one time and it didn't work out very well and so now I'm not going to do it. And yet, that is not the primary mission that God has given us. Paul says in Romans 13, Owe nothing to anyone except for your obligation to love one another. If you love your neighbor, you will fulfill the requirements of God's law. 
For the commandments say you must not commit adultery, you must not murder, you must not steal, you must not covet. These and other such commandments are summed up in this one commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. The Christian mission is not first and foremost to make disciples. It's to love our neighbor. And everything else flows from that. Jesus said everything else flows out of that. That's the foundation for everything else. Love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. If we truly embed that mission into our DNA, into everything that we do, if we embed that mission into our lives Monday through Saturday, not just Sunday, but every day of the week and everything we do at home, at work, at school, it is going to have a profound impact on our lives and the people around us. It's going to have a huge impact. And one of those results, part of that impact, is that we're going to be sharing with people about Jesus. Think about it. What could be more loving for people who have no hope and are isolated and alone than for someone to open their doors and welcome them warmly and at some point get into this conversation where they say, you know what made the difference for me? Let me tell you what God has done in my life. What could be more loving than to tell people about Jesus? We're not throwing that away. But we have to understand what our primary mission is. There are people out there who are lonely and hurting and isolated and broken and trapped in patterns of sin and habits and downward spirals and all of that. And we know that the answer to that is through Jesus. So the most loving thing we can do for them is to introduce them to him. But let's make sure we understand what our primary mission is. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, You are the light of the world. Like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden, no one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, aggressively pursue non-believers and wear them down with your preaching until they convert to your beliefs. That was a test. You passed. In the same way, Jesus says, let your good deeds shine out for all to see. In the same way, let your good deeds shine for all to see. They need to be visible. People need to see that. Why? So that everyone will praise, glory, praise your heavenly Father. Here's why I think this is so important for us to understand. Some Christians... Think of loving their neighbors, anybody around them, workplace, school, neighbors in your neighborhood, whatever it is. Some Christians think of loving their neighbors as simply the prerequisite to sharing the gospel. And that is not at all what Jesus is trying to say. That it's just a tactic, that it's just a strategy, that it's just a way for us to get to the point where we can share with them about our faith and try to convert them to our way of thinking. And what I want to challenge you with today is the idea that our mission is actually broader than that. As important as that is to share with people, we cannot forget that the commandments Jesus gave us were actually love God, and the second is equally important, love your neighbor as yourself. And so here's, here's the implication of that. Here's what that means for us. This is so important. Fulfilling my mission as a father follower of Jesus means loving my neighbors well, even if they don't end up trusting Christ. Fulfilling my mission as a follower of Jesus is not about conversions. It's about love. It is about loving well. And success is not measured by conversions. As much as we want to see that happen, success is when we're obedient 
to what God has commanded us to do. We don't love our neighbors so we can convert them. We love them because we're supposed to love them, because it's what God has commanded us to do. Jesus said, this is what we are supposed to do. And that means if we care for and love and serve and build relationships with people in our lives, with our neighbors, wherever they are, for 20 years or 30 years, and then they never end up trusting in Jesus Christ, was it still worth it? Was it still a success as far as we're concerned? Was it still the accomplishment of our mission? Yes. Because our mission is not to convert them. We can't honestly really do that anyway. We can introduce them to Jesus. We can live a life in such a way that it makes them want to know more. We can share Jesus with, the, with them in words. I'm not saying we never, we never share the, the, the good news about Jesus directly with them. Absolutely we do. What I'm saying is that's not the only goal. That's not the only goal for us. It means that our primary reason for loving our neighbors is not so we can convert them. Our primary reason for loving our neighbors is our obedience to God and his mission for us. That's getting these things in the proper order. It means that our neighbors are not a project or a task to be completed. They are people to be loved. We don't love them because we want something from them. We don't love them because at some point that's going to be our path to introduce them to Jesus, although we absolutely want that to happen. But that's not our only motivation. This is the mission that Jesus has given us, to love our neighbors, period. And one of the most loving things we can do is to also introduce them to Jesus. I hope that this helps to kind of put the foundation in place for what we're about to talk about for the next five weeks after this. We're going to get into the practicals. We're going to get into the house. We're going to talk about how to be the type of neighbor you need to be. We're going to talk about practical ways that you can reach out and be a loving neighbor. We are going to have an entire Sunday dedicated to just teaching us here how to share our faith, how to share about Jesus with other people who don't know him. But if we were to just go there Without starting here, my fear is that we would think that it's all just a tactic, that it's all just a strategy, that it's just how do I get to that point where I get to give them the pitch? And we've got to start with a healthy foundation understanding that our mission is to love them and share about Jesus, not to love them just so that we can get to that point. Does that make sense? It is effective mission accomplishment for us if we love our neighbors, even if they never trust in Jesus, as much as we hope that they do. Will you bow your heads with me? Our prayer team is gonna come forward right now. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and for what it teaches us. We know that you love our neighbors more than we could ever love our neighbors. And I pray that you would guide us over the next five weeks as we explore in your word how to best love our neighbors well. How to do that in a way that reflects on you positively, that reveals to people your glory, to be engaged in good deeds so that people will look at that and go, what is different about you? And we say, it's the difference God has made in our lives and Lord, we just point the glory to you and so that people praise and glorify you. And yes, we pray that you would work through us and use us to reach many, many people with the gospel of Jesus. And that we would see more and more people trust in you and join the body of Christ and continue in that cycle. But Lord, help us to always remember that our mission 
is to love you and to love others. And that's it. Our mission is to love our neighbors well. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, I hope you have a wonderful week. Remember downstairs we're going to be talking about Kid Connection. We'll see you next Sunday.